Hi, I'm Rick Tittle, and this is the Rick Tittle Podcast on the 8 Side Network. Join me as I get busy with the biggest names in sports and entertainment. Welcome back to Sports Byline, USA, coast-to-coast, border-to-border, around the world, on the American Forces Radio Network, 177 countries. We are very happy to welcome to the show the writer, director of Ozark on Netflix, season four, the last Seven episodes will be getting uh, underway very soon. It is Chris Mundy. Chris, welcome to the show. And when you wrap up a series, on the one hand, it's kind of sad because it's ending. But on the other hand, you can do anything you want because the story arcs are all ending, right? It's true. It's, it's, it's nice to know you're ending it. It's like nice to know you're trying to land the plane and you don't have to uh, keep open the possibility for, like, you know, we might be doing this for 10 more episodes. So, uh, but it's, uh, so it's, 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 it's satisfying in that way. And then really sad since it's a job we've all loved. When you think about the cast just from day one with, with Bateman and, and Lenny and others, you knew you had something on your hands, but did you think it would be this big, like Sopranos big? No, I mean, of course not. I mean, I mean, that's really nice of you to say Sopranos big, but I mean, but no, I mean, we like, you know, when, when Laura signed on and we knew we already had Jason, we were like, oh, my God, like, okay, now we're going to – we better up our game because they're so good. And then when Julia was as fantastic as she is, like, you started to get a hint of, like, oh, wow, we think this is really good, but, you know, hopefully other people will. You work in a vacuum uh, in that first season where – you know, on Netflix, it all drops at the same time. So it's not like people are seeing an episode at a time. So um, we just have to hope we have all 10 of them done and then they go out there and we have to hope that people see the same thing that we saw and because we were all happy with it. Yeah. Jason Bateman and, and Laura Linney are Money in the Bank established and Julia Garner had uh, done some things here and there, but this was really her her breakout and she is a huge star. She's won some Emmys. And for me, I was trying to describe her. I said, someone who can deliver a line so tough and so emphatically, but yet maybe teary eyed and the voice shaking for her to look like vulnerable and scared while also looking scary and confident. I mean, that's just a remarkable piece of acting. You just described it exactly perfectly. That's exactly right. There's like a, there's like a sadness that she plays Ruth with at the same time. She's kind of like, you know, kicking butt all over the place. And it, it's such a, it's such a crazy combination that Julia created. And, and, and it's kind of like deep in the subtext of the writing. And we talk about it a lot, but she just pulled it out and uh, out there that uh, it just works on so many different levels. I'm, I'm constantly amazed by her. Um, and I should mention seven episodes, then a break, and then we'll have a few more to, uh, to end the season with, with Jason Bateman, you know, he's so good um, as a dramatic actor as well, but on the set, can he not help but have a little hijinks and jokes? <laughs> Jason is like, Jason is exactly like you'd expect him to be, which is, is, is the highest compliment because he's like smart and unflappable and funny as hell. Like, and, and he has this dry sense of humor. So yeah, I mean, ab- ab- absolutely. It's a, and, and when we write to it, you just realize what a gift it has. It's his timing is insane. So it's like he just he, he finds the humor in every single situation in this way that kind of comes from the side. And, and it's great. And, and especially when he's directing, it's um, 
the set is just this kind of like really laid back kind of funny place where everyone's just doing their job and working really hard, but it doesn't even feel like work. It's, it's kind of astounding. Chris Mundy is with us, writer and director for Ozark season four coming soon on Netflix. Um, you know, something that it, it took a while for me to figure out season one, I don't know, two or three episodes was that you would show four little like logos and that would portend that what would happen in the show. And so then you get to the point where you start watching and like, there's a fish hook, there's a shovel. Like, how is this going to unfold? Whose idea was that? Jason gets all the credit for it. And that was entirely Jason's idea. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, uh, and then when we had, we had it done animate, they, they had him come to life instead of just be, uh, uh, one-dimensional, which was was kind of cool. I'll still, when we get each one in the episode that's coming, because we'll send off, you know, 25 different things, have somebody from the, uh, send off like 25 different things, you know, moments in the script, and they come back, and I'm always like, you know, we're writing them, and I'm still looking like, okay, wait, it, okay, that's what that is. And <laughs> I still puzzle over them every single time. Too funny. So we know one of the great things about this are the twists. So I always wonder when you're writing these things, what the, maybe I shouldn't call them arguments. Let's just call them discussions and say, no, that's too twisted or that's not twisted enough. That's too much of a trope or let's create a new trope with this. How much of that do you guys discuss it? Oh, we discuss all of it all the time. I mean, you know, we're in the writer's room. I mean, it's a really hopefully fun room and a really good group of people, but we're, we're much harder on ourselves than anyone else will ever be. So, so we sort of bang against the thing constantly until it's solid. And, uh, but because of that, like people are going to completely disagree. I will say I, uh, at times, I mean, I will say that we've never been disappointed in the end when we really pushed for something like, you know, it, if, 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 if there's been times where we're like, oh, I think that might be going too far. If we do it, we've always ended up being happy about it. Now, from what I understand, you're a big fan of Huskers football, too. Is that right? <laughs> this, is, uh, this is very true. Uh, I, have, uh, well, I, was, I was actually just reading something about Huskers football before I got in this call, strangely enough. Uh, well, let me ask you a two-part question. Number one, what do you think of Scott Frost? And number two, what do you think about which to me is bizarre because I'm in my fifties, but that they're not big 12, they're big 10. I'm still, yeah. I mean, I grew up, I grew up, you know, going to games in the big eight. We've had the same season tickets my entire life. Hmm. I've never, my parents have never not had them. Um, and so it still feels weird. I mean, it still feels weird not playing Oklahoma every, every, every year. And now we just, we just signed Casey, Casey Thompson uh, just transferred and his, her, his dad was Charles Thompson, who played for a quarterback for Oklahoma and broke our heart in 1987. So, uh, um, you know, it's it's weird. I love those old rivalries. Um, and, and in terms of Scott, I think I feel like everybody in the state, which is I really I mean, everyone obviously loves him as a player and loved him as a player, but also like knows that this whole enterprise means as much to him as it does to everybody else in the state. And so, um, you know, everyone has faith that he's, he cares enough and he understands it enough. And, and, and I, we're inches away, but we need to shore up a lot of things. We have to stop being a dumb football team. And I think, and I think, I think what it really comes down to is 
if he's if stepping away this next year and being more of a CEO works, I think he's got it because I think suddenly we're absolutely competitive every time we step on the on the football field. But uh, it's just that last little mental bit that we've got to get tonight. And I think he's going to get there. But, you know, that's also because I've been living and breathing it since I was born. No, it's a good breakdown, and I hate to bring this up, but but I will. I grew up with a huge Husker fan. His dad went there, and so he, everything was, you know, he had the black shirts and, and, you know, Tom Osborne for president and all that. But 1984, Miami, you know, Orange Bowl, Irving Fire drops that pass. He still tells me that that is the biggest disappointment in the history of his life with sport was Irving Fryer. Was it Turner Gill that threw it? Were you Were you watching that game? Of course, I was watching that game when we. I mean, when I was in high school, and when and when we went for two, one of my best friends, uh, actually, whose name is Jonah's alter, uh, you know, separate second identity is named after my friend Mike Fleming. Uh, Mike couldn't watch the couldn't watch it. Had to like walk out of the room, and just listen to the rest of us scream and knew that we'd like blown the two point conversion at the, in, in that game. So. Uh, yeah, there's a you know, those moments, <laughs> those moments stay with you <laughs> as crazy as it is. Even though it's just college football, they uh, they're they're part of the it's the state religion. No doubt. All right, as I uh, as we leave, last question. Uh, I know you can't say this and that will happen, but can you give us a little teaser about the final season of Ozark? Um. Yeah. I mean, I I think I think we're going to be on a, a on a, a path. Marty's going to be questioning whether or not he needs to. He, it's best for everyone's safety and sanity to stay in this marriage. And Ruth's going to be questioning whether or not to move on with her life or really fully put herself in the crosshairs of the birds, even though she's in one way a surrogate daughter to Marty, but in a lot of ways suddenly is is squarely lined up against him. And so I think I think that's going to get more and more clear as, as the season goes on. And it's going to really delve into the, the family um, and sort of Jonah's role in it, especially uh, deeper and deeper as, as, as we go through this first seven and then, and then even the back seven. So what you're saying is Marty and Ruth hook up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you never know. You have to make sure to watch Ozark season four on Netflix, just like everybody else. will. we've been speaking with the writer and director, Chris, Monday. Chris, thanks for coming on, man, and congratulations on a great show. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it so much. All right. I'm Rick Tittle. We'll take a quick break and come on back on Sports Byline USA. You're listening to the Rick Tittle podcast on the 8 Side Network. Stay tuned for more. That's fantastic. Thank you for that. Welcome back to the show, Rick Tittle, with you coast to coast around the world on American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure now to be joined by actor Rory Ross. He is in the book of Boba Fett which is now streaming, of course, on uh, Disney+, Plus, and uh, he plays a uh, Tuscan Raider. Rory, what's it like to, because Star Wars came out when I was 12, in 1977, kind of old, and we all did our own little Star Wars films, and we all dreamed about being in a Star Wars. So for you to get in part of this canon, how cool is that? It's, it's amazing. I mean, for me, obviously, you know, Star Wars, um, I wasn't I wasn't around when the first OG came out in '77, but uh, for me, you know, having having Star Wars being such an important part of my life for me, you know, it started when I was six years old. I was in the hospital and I had a rare fungus, and while that was all happening, I was in there for about a month because my scalp was 
literally falling off. And my mom, she brought in Star Wars A New Hope. And for me, seeing Luke Skywalker's journey and how his impact is hope and inspiration and showing that you can, you can carry on, uh, that gave me the hope that I needed that I was going to be okay because it was, just, it was just a crazy moment for me of being in the hospital and so young, feeling vital, full of life. And then all of a sudden, you know, seeing people that, that were in the same room with me that got better and there were others that, that didn't. And so, you know, just at such a young age and having such a traumatic event, the story of Star Wars and Luke's journey really gave me the hope that I needed that I was going to be okay. And so that's something that has really been an important part of my life throughout. And so to finally have a, a chance and a moment to actually be a character in Star Wars, part of the canon, and to see these stories come to life and, and to continue to have such a lasting impact on so many people is is undescribable and will continue to be something I hold so dear <laughs> for, for me personally. That's very cool. Rare Fungus is the name of my bluegrass band, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> now, now we can laugh about it now, but if you don't mind me asking, what on earth was it? Was it some kind of black fungus that was in your house or something? No. So I grew up in Iowa, and I had... I grew up on an exotic farm. Uh, we had emus, ostriches, Russian boars, all this kind of stuff. And I guess somehow um, I got uh, some kind of rare fungus, trichophyton varicosum, but it uh, basically got on, on my scalp, and I thought it was just my hair falling out. And, you know, <laughs> even at that age, I was like, oh, that's, you know, that, that sucks. But I didn't realize my mom uh, was being a trooper and really trying to kind of hide the full aspect of it and... You know, she was, the, the scalp was falling off, and I just remember going to the local hospital. We're trying to figure out what was happening. We sent a, a sample of my scalp to the CDC in Atlanta, and they didn't know what was going on. And so it just became this whole thing, and I just remember it, the, finally one day they had me go to the back of the hospital. They wrapped my head in a towel, and they said, go to Iowa City Children's Hospital, which is 30 minutes away. They said, don't stop, don't go home, go straight there. So we rushed out over there, and I remember... It sort of seemed like a, a scene from like a zombie movie where there was a hazmat suit crew who took me into this room, went through a whole decontamination process, and uh, was like kind of kind of kept me quarantined for for a bit, and we went through several different surgeries, um, just trying to figure out what was happening. And I was there for, for, like I said, I think for about a month, and then even after that, I kept going back. But it was just amazing to to have Star Wars. You know, that first day, my mom went to the media library, and when she brought that, it just is my first introduction to Star Wars. And so it's something that is so important to my life. And growing up on a farm, I left home when I was 13, and it's sort of like Luke, where Luke was like, hey, tattooing, the, the farm life isn't for me. I, I feel like there's something more out there for me, and that was sort of the same thing, too. So, again, Star Wars has just been something that's permeated throughout my entire life, and it's I, you know, it's indescribable to say of like how important that aspect is and, and to now be a part of this amazing universe and hopefully give some hope and inspiration to others and, and the listeners out there. That's a, it is an amazing story. The parallels too. you, you weren't in Iowa, you weren't on a moisture farm, were you? <laughs> no, I mean, much more, more of a, a corn. We had corn, soybean, um, and we had, we had Texas longhorns. We also had a pet store. At one point we had two African lion cubs. It was it was a very unique and interesting upbringing, um, and you know there's there's definitely things that I look fondly at it, but there was definitely where just like Luke, you know, I, I tried to do the farmer, I tried to wear the overalls, and then you know go out there plow the fields and all this kind of stuff, or I tried to be a cowboy and wear the cowboy boots and 
got pretty good at a lasso, but at the same time, I was really bad at riding a horse. I have plenty of stories there, but uh, it, it just it just wasn't a fit. And so, I, you know, I left at, at 13 and uh, went to Seattle, and, and that's why I sort of started my own kind of new life, in a sense. Very, very cool story. We're speaking with Rory Ross, Book of Boba Fett. I mentioned Tuscan Raider. Now, here's the thing. We think, or at least I think, of Tuscan Raiders as bad guys. But you're you're an ally. You're an ally, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's really interesting because uh, when you look at A New Hope, obviously when we first see they were considered sand people there, you know, we saw them as kind of barbaric. And then you see them in Episode 3 with Anakin, and he says he slaughtered them like, like animals and savages. And so that's really the only context a lot of people have seen. And so now with Book of Boba Fett and fleshing through the story, and I, I won't spoil it for those that haven't seen it yet, but it really humanizes them, gives them a very a fuller, fuller aspect. We see their society, their culture, and we understand, start to understand that there are, are several different tribes. And those tribes aren't all the same. They all have their different experiences and personalities and things like this. And what one tribe does doesn't mean that the rest of other tribes or even members of that tribe are exactly the same or will treat you in the same way, just like us as people. And I hope something of that really gets to, uh, that people understand and, and, uh, and see. How many haters are like, that's not you under all that makeup, quit lying? <laughs> I, you know, surprisingly, I haven't had too many people. And, I, and maybe that's because, you know, I have uh, several friends that I've made uh, from set, you know, that is from costume and other places, and maybe they're seeing that they're also liking the photos, so there's credibility there. Uh, Disney's pretty pretty restrictive on terms of, you know, especially if you're taking any on-set photos unless you're a main cast member. Uh, and so trying to trying to see if Disney Troy would, would be down to, to release a photo of me as a Tuscan Raider. But um, one of the cool things is we're trying to reach out to Disney about doing is doing a Tuscan watch party. And so myself and uh, my, my buddy, Warren Prue, who uh, he's already said he's the stand-in on Kenobi, so that's already been out there. And I'm also on Kenobi as a stormtrooper, but we won't be talking <laughs> about <laughs> Kenobi because obviously can't say too much about that. But what's really cool is we're going to do the watch party and kind of give the behind-the-scenes commentary sort of thing. And then we're trying to figure out if it's, you know, donation or tickets, but all the proceeds from that will be going to Iowa City Children's Hostel, which, again, is where my Star Wars story began in a way of kind of paying it forward and, and helping the very place that, that gave me the hope I needed and as well as, you know, with the, the place of my birth of Star Wars. Very cool. Last question for you. I mean, this is an action series, obviously, and there's, uh, you know, you're raiding a train, you're doing so much. So if you weren't athletic, if you didn't look like you could fight, it, it, w- it wouldn't work. So how much did you have to, like, hone those aspects? <laughs> well, I- this might be a little disappointing to hear, unfortunately. Um, when it comes to, I, I did, I did run, and I will say I, I had to keep pace with Joanna Bennett, who plays as the Tuscan warrior, when we were doing the scene of chasing Boba, um, and that was that was pretty crazy. We, because you know, when you're doing the takes, you have to get different angles and things like that. So you are you are taking off, you are running, uh, but typically when it comes to the stunt aspects, those are the stunt players. Mm-hmm. So uh, Joanna Bennett was was you know she's been amazing. She's been on. Uh, you know, uh, Justice League with Gal Gadot and, and doing the stunt double there, as well as Captain Marvel, and she was she was fantastic. So, do you, did you get a complex like when they said, uh, "Yeah, you've been casted uh, as a Tuscan Raider and a Stormtrooper"? Do you think, "What am I too ugly?" 
<laughs> well, no, I mean, for me, to be completely honest, it's been amazing to to be a part of, of the universe, just in general, but I've been asking them ever since I got on Boba uh, to put me in whatever they want to, as long as my face isn't seen, and the hopes of the, the dream about being a Jedi, I, I say, uh, born to born to be a Jedi, the, the Jedi that I, I believe I was born to be, and, um, you know, my, my hope, especially with, uh, you know, those fans current with The Mandalorian, you know, season two, we saw Luke Skywalker, and he is now around, and so... My my ultimate dream and the manifestation sort of aspect that I want to put out there is that I would love to be Luke Skywalker's student at his Jedi Academy, should they show that, because that would just be a full circle and, and being just an amazing experience to be a part of his training and, and, you know, kind of having this weird sort of meta experience of, you know, receiving that, that, that training from Luke would be just a crazy and, and to be that Jedi and, and hopefully to uh, those that watch that, if that were to happen, um, you know, also inspire them that their dreams can come true and, and you know, just got to make a small step in the right direction every day. That's Rory Ross, and as you can tell, this isn't just a, a gig. This is a labor of love. He is on the Book of Boba Fett, streaming now on Disney+, Plus. the pride of Walla Walla. Hey, Rory, man, thanks for stopping by, and congratulations. Thank you so much, Rick. I appreciate it. All right, no doubt. And I always wondered, you know, when you look at those guys at uh, like Gorilla Rilla. I know what Gorilla Rilla looks like. One time when we were at uh, Oakland City Hall, he took off his mask to talk to me. But I always thought, does that count as getting on TV if that could be anybody under the mask? <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, I got on TV. Was that really you? Yeah, it was me. What were you wearing? I was wearing a skull mask. Oh. What do the writers have to do with skulls? Because they just go with me there. All right, sounds good. All right, we'll take a break, and we'll talk to comedian Benji Brown on the other side. Come on back. You're listening to the Rick Tittle Podcast on the 8 Side Network. Stay tuned for more. It's our great pleasure to welcome to the show Joanne Worley, who's had a career in show business over half a century. She is the queen, and she's here to talk about the Betty White Challenge.com, actors and others for animals. They were looking for donations of $100 or whatever you can afford as we look forward to Betty White's 100th birthday. And, of course, we just lost her recently. If you grew up when I did and when I was a little kid watching uh, Laughing, Joanne Worley was a, uh, a fixture, a big celeb. Uh, Joanne, welcome to the show. Um, when you get stopped on the streets and people talk to you, is it mostly laughing? Um, yes, except now. Uh, it's Beauty and the Beast because I voiced the wardrobe in Beauty that uh, Academy Award-winning Beauty and the Beast. And you also did the armoire in Kingdom Hearts too, the video game, right? Uh, yes, the armoire and or it's called the wardrobe. It depends on when I guess when you were born, what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> it's that piece of furniture from the olden days where people used to put all their clothes and then close the door. But now we have all these swell walk-in closets. Right. I guess in England, if you came out of the closet, you'd come out of the wardrobe, right? Abs or an armoire. <laughs> it sounds much classier to say armoire. <laughs> <laughs> now, when's the last time you saw Beauty and the Beast, Jen? Uh, this is Rick. Uh, oh, Rick. Okay. I know. Well, you know, I say, unless I was Jan with a cold. <laughs> Hello, Jan, honey. I don't know. How are Jan, you, honey? a woman or a man? That's true. If I was from Holland or something, I could be Jan. Yes. 
Uh, now, is Jan Wall a woman or a man? Oh, Jan Wall is a woman. Ah, because there was a producer of a nightclub where I started uh, doing stand-up in uh, Greenwich Village, and her name was Jan Wallman. Oh. And uh, so when I you know, saw on this uh, Armed Forces Network Jan Wall, I went, oh, I wonder if that's, well, of course not, it's Wallman. <laughs> well, I do have something interesting for you. Yes. Well, you know uh, Betty White was on the board of directors of Actors and Others for Animals, mm-hmm. which is an uh, uh, organization I've been associated with for 50 years, and uh, somehow I got a lot of money contributed to it, so I, I went from board member to president. <laughs> so we had our uh, 45th anniversary, and I found our newsletter from that, and the year we were formed was 1971, okay? Mm-hmm. Would you like to hear some of the things that were going on in 1971? Uh, I was in the first grade, but tell me. Uh, who was the president, Mr. First Grader? Uh, the president was Richard Nixon, right? Correct. Yeah. And uh, uh, Love Story was in the movie theaters. Mm-hmm. All in the Family made its debut. And Tom Jones' song, a uh, top song, was She's a Lady. She's a lady. Whoa, you got it. Whoa, she's a lady. remembers. <laughs> <laughs> How much was gasoline a gallon? I'll say it was 45 cents. 40 cents. Ooh, close. Uh-huh. How much were stamps? Um, Six cents. Eight cents. Okay. And the car, an average car would cost? Three grand. Three grand and, and some change, $700. Wow, I'm pretty close. You're very close. Oh, have I'm, you done this before? I'm good, John. You're good. <laughs> what was the average income? Um, $28,000. Uh-huh. 10600 Ooh. Minimum wage was how much an hour? Oh, $1.75. Ooh, you're so good. One sixty. Mm. How much was a movie ticket? Mm, two bucks. One fifty, mm. and nineteen seventy one was the year that Federal Express was started. And as a matter of fact, uh, on this sheet it says that twenty million animals were euthanized yearly. Ooh. Terrible. And the first low cost spay neuter clinic opened in L.A. And Actors and Others for Animals was founded. That's great stuff. And speaking of Nixon. Yes. When he went on laughing and said, <clears throat> sock it to me, and uh, by the way, sock it to me is still very prevalent in my brain. <laughs> uh, what was that like when you had him come on and show a little personality? Okay, well, actually, he said, sock it to me. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because he was president, and uh, the head writer, Paul Keyes, on the show, uh, wrote a lot of speeches for him. So that's how uh, we got to him, and he was brought in uh, under the dead of night, and secretly through back doors and everything, into a studio with the producer, George Slaughter, and uh, the, he just stood in front of the camera and repeated the lines that he was said to say. That's how he said, sock it to me. <laughs> <clears throat> but um, the, I understand that that made uh, him appear almost human. <laughs> <laughs> appeared almost <laughs> union after that and got uh, voted in as president.
Yeah, too bad he was nervous about the Watergate stuff, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, well, you know what I've got to comment on? Mm-hmm. The interesting array of commercials that I was listening to <laughs> while I was waiting on the phone. Uh, oh, mon dieu! <laughs> oh, this, the gentle ears of the wardrobe slash armoire. Oh, mon dieu! <laughs> oh, Dios mio. All right, so tell us about the Betty White Challenge.com. How can we be a part of it? Oh, well, you, you know, she was on our board for, you know, low these many years. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were all looking forward to her 100th birthday on the 17th. And uh, as uh, the fates would have it, that didn't work out. So there is the Betty White Challenge going on where it's suggested that everyone send uh, $5 to uh, their, you know, a local animal charity. And I think because she was going to be 100 it should be at least $100, but actually uh, everything is appreciated, and it all adds up. It all goes in the same good pot for the benefit of um, the animals, not the actors. The actors are the ones raising the money, <laughs> <laughs> but for the animals. And, and spay and neuter is our one of our main things. We also help with, uh, uh, you know, medical bills for animals are as high as people now, you know. Right. It's so expensive, and we help out with that. And, you know, we have, uh, you know, for low these 50 years, we've been doing good things for animals. And I have, of course, a wonderful rescue dog, even as we speak. Little Cupid was his given name, and I kept it. And he's a little chihuahua. He's my, you know, my best, one of my best friends. And uh, do you have an animal? Uh, yeah, I have a couple of cats. But before we let you go, Joanne, I gotta, sure. I gotta ask. Your credits are so huge, but being on Curb, how, f- <laughs> how fun was that? Oh, that was way fun. And the, the the fun was if you could make him laugh and break him up during a take. Mm-hmm. Oh, you scored. <laughs> <laughs> that was the heart's desire. And it was just, you know, wonderful fun to go there and, and play with the, those wonderful people. Last... And, well, that's what it is. We, we get together and we play. That's great. Last question for you. Have you ever, like, turning channels one night and you're like, Wait, I was in the $6 million man. Like, do you ever see yourself in something? Well, yeah, I got a residual yesterday for What's My Line? Wow. Now, I, I'm i going, I don't remember doing that, but it was so long ago. I think it was after, of course, the, the big What's My Line with uh, Dorothy Kilgallen and those people. Mm-hmm. It must have been, you know, a, a, a reboot of what that one, a spurt at one time. Uh, but I, I, if I'm getting a residual for it, I definitely was on it. <laughs> well, was it a 75-cent residual or something that might pay a phone bill? Oh, it, it uh, not our phone bills today. Maybe back uh, 50 <laughs> years ago it would have paid the phone bill. Uh, but it was around, you know, $49 or something like that. And then, of course, I have to ask before I go, The you put your finger in your cheek and you did the... Mm-hmm. Could you do that for us? Uh-huh. Why, you know why, how I started doing that, the finger in the cheeks on the joke wall where we were being billboarded, they call it, 
they would just show our our face and say our name, mm-hmm. and we had nothing to do. And my arms were out of that little window that we open up, right? And my hands were there, and they just went like like Shirley Temple, <laughs> and that's how that that happened. <laughs> the great Joanne Worley, just as sharp as a tack as ever. Remember the Betty White Challenge, or just Betty White Challenge dot com. Check it out. Help out a lot of pets out there. Joanne, a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. I thank you. This has been the Rick Tittle Podcast on the 8 Side Network.